All right. If you have a Bible or a device, two locations we're going to in Scripture today, one being John 17, the other being Philippians 2. So John 17 and Philippians 2 are the two passages that we are are heading towards today. As I've mentioned many times, and it's already been mentioned uh, by John and others, is that today is about being together. It's about unity. And a poll earlier this year found that 54% of Americans felt that the greatest threat to this country was not another country, was not economic collapse, was not natural disaster, but fellow Americans. And I wonder in the church how we mirror society versus mirroring Jesus. That we look across maybe the congregation or at other churches in the community or in the state or in this country or in the world, and we feel that, yeah, the greatest threat is those other people who call themselves Christians, but they don't look like I do or believe like I do or act like I do. They're the greatest threats. And like the country, we may be in the church, this is a maybe, maybe this is hypothetical and no one can relate to this, is maybe we've drawn our lines and we've said, you know what? We're going to be Republican versus Democrat. We're going to be liberal versus conservative. It's going to be the 1% versus the 99. It's going to be the rural versus the urban. It's going to be the mass versus no mass, the vaccine versus no vaccine, the climate doubters versus climate believers, border, whatever you believe about borders or sex or gender or race or faith or whatever it is, is there's just in our society, there is this massive division. And if you watched anything yesterday or read anything about yesterday, the conversation really seemed to swirl around this idea of being together and being unified. People pointed back to 9-11 and the days and weeks that followed of this rallying around and, and really focusing together. But as we know, we live in a world with different views. We live in a town with different views. We worship with people with different views. And how do we reconcile that? Do we just divide out and mirror the world or is there a different way that scripture teaches us? I mean, issues and divisions have always existed. And, and in the last year and a half, COVID didn't cause the issues to come forward. It only magnified them, the ones that have been simmering. And we had crisis in the world. And, and there's no downplaying the impact that this last year and a half to two years has had upon us as individuals in marriages, and families, and schools, and churches, and neighborhoods. And when we encounter a crisis, which we have walked through and are continuing to walk through, crisis causes one of two things. It causes people to draw together, or it causes people to war and pull apart. It can have one of these two impacts. I mentioned 9-11, how many people rallied together. If you remember that day, those weeks that followed her. And earlier this week, Ben Lark was sharing how he remembers in World War II, how people came together and worked together and, and shared things. So what is it? Do we pull together or do we war against each other with crisis? And then today, as we think about this, is that it's going to be really easy, and I'm going to say really lazy, for us to be like, that person or that group should hear this, not me. This is about me, and this is about you. So let's not just like look at everyone else. Let's, let's look at our own heart. 
More importantly, we're going to look at Jesus's heart and then look at our own heart. So first, let's start in John chapter 17. So this is before Jesus goes to the cross. He knows his death is coming. And he's praying. So he's praying about the things that are most important to him. And he prays for unity. He says this, verse 20, he says, pray for also for those who will believe in me through their message. Verse 21, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So Jesus prayed for his followers, for his disciples, that they would be one. Why? So people would believe in Jesus. And this belief in Jesus would bring further unity. That the world would know that God sent Jesus and that God loves the world. And Jesus prays this and he's saying, this is what hinges on unity. The unbelieving world will look at the church, be so amazed at the church that they would turn to Jesus because of their love for one another. So I asked myself the question and you should ask the question, well, how have we done? We here, but also the church of Jesus Christ. I mean, we can simply look at all the different denominations and there's not another religion in the world that is fragmented as much as Christianity. Not even close, not even a close second. See, what we do is we read passages like this about unity and we're like, well, it's just not possible. That's some utopian dream. It's just not going to happen not going to happen in my lifetime and not going to happen in my kid's lifetime. And, and so what we do is we accept it and we just shrug it off. And I believe that's sinful. To simply accept disunity, to participate in it instead of grieving it. Like I think Jesus was grieving when he prayed this. Jesus knew what was happening and what would be happening. See, there's division and fighting and bickering and self-righteousness and passive aggressive actions in the church. And there are a reason that people are pushed away from Jesus. Some of you are sitting here today struggling in faith because of some of the things that I just mentioned. Paul Billenheimer, he said this, he said, the continue and widespread fragmentation of the church has been the scandal of the ages. It has been Satan's master strategy. The sin of disunity probably has caused more souls to be lost than all the other sins combined. That's a big statement. That's a statement that causes grief in my heart as I listen to it. See, when we look at scriptures like this, is what Jesus said is he was saying unity creates belief and disunity fosters disbelief or unbelief. Jesus prayed that we would be one. Jesus prayed that we would be one, that we would be unified. Now you may be saying, but Chris, what about, 
and you're wrestling with this, which you should. And I hope you take this out of here and you wrestle with it. Because again, unity is not uniformity. It's not uniformity. But true Christian unity is this. It is, it is a common faith in Jesus Christ. It's not human made, it's God made. It's the work that Jesus did on the cross and it's God given. See, when Jesus prays for us to be unified, it is around the centrality of Jesus's salvic work on the cross for the good of the church, for the glory of God, for the salvation of the world. There are all sorts of secondary issues that we make primary issues. If you recall how last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul talked about of what was of most importance. And it was about Jesus's life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. This is the primary issue. See, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus taught that we are to walk in this unified reality of who he is, his life, death, and resurrection. Paul said it's of the first importance. And I remember Pastor Gerton, he talked about it. Here's, here's the deal. He said, he said, it's about Jesus. Jesus is central. This is what we focus on is Jesus. Everything else is out here. These are important things to talk about, but we're focusing on Jesus. Who Jesus was, who Jesus is, what Jesus did. This is where we find unity, but we try to find it in all these secondary issues. Then what we do is we either argue and discuss or whatever, or we demonize we forget about the centrality of Jesus. Because guess what? If we walk along here, there's different beliefs. If we go up 94 or down 94 here and we go to Battle Creek or Jackson, there's different beliefs. We can focus on those. Some of those need to be discussed, but it's about the centrality of Jesus. Jesus. See, we're not called to create or build unity. We're called to maintain it. This is what Paul said in Ephesians 4. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. So what does this mean to live this life that's worthy of the calling that we're called to? Paul says this. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Humility, gentleness, patience, and love. Anyone have work to do? I'm the first to raise my hand. Maybe we're going to talk about pride next week here. It's like four people with hands up here. Come on, come on. Gentleness and humility and patience and love for other believers. That's me. And he says this. He said, this is what we're to do. We're supposed to do that. And he says, make every effort, make every effort, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Why? Well, this is why. Verse four, there is one body and one spirit. And just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let me read that again. This is why we're to keep the unity of the spirit. There's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, 
one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So it's not Jesus, it's not God who fragmented us. It's humans that have fragmented. And we're reminded that there's one. See, God has chosen to work through the church of Jesus Christ. We're just a small part of it. Other churches are small parts of it, making up the greater. But this is who the church is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So what he's saying, he's saying the church is made up the true church is made up of people who proclaim Jesus. Those who are set apart in Christ. A few verses later in verse 30 of chapter one, he says this. He says, it is because of him being God that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness and holiness and redemption. Therefore, our common unity in Christ unites us with others. It's because of Jesus we're united with others, not because of the name on our sign. And it's the work that God did through Jesus that allowed us to be united with Jesus Christ. So what do we do? We keep pointing to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Philippians 2 asked you to turn there earlier. It's going to be the last passage of scripture we're going to look at here. It's a lengthy passage. But Philippians chapter two, in most translations, in verse one, it starts with a word, what? Someone has it up. Therefore, all right, the last two weeks, we've kept starting these passages with the word therefore. So we're going to jump back. We're going to start in Philippians one, verse 27. This will frame in why Paul is writing these words when he thinks of unity, when he thinks of being together. Verse 27 of chapter one of Philippians. Whatever happens, whatever happens, whether it's 9-11, whether it's COVID, whether it's politics, whether it's job loss, something in your marriage, something with your kids, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Paul's talking about crisis. Whether it's personal or national or corporate or church or whatever it is. He's talking about crisis. And remember, crisis does one of two things. It causes us to battle against each other. It causes us to draw together. So Paul's saying, you're walking through something. And he says, this is the way we're to walk through it. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, 
if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. Again, the like-mindedness, I'm not talking about secondary issues. Paul's not talking about secondary issues. He's talking about Jesus. Same love, one spirit, one mind. So unity is around Jesus, of who Jesus is. It's not about opinions. Unity is about the state of our heart, our mindset. Do we walk in humility like Jesus? I've wondered is that maybe we lack unity because instead of pointing people to Jesus or trying to form people like Jesus or, or, or be like Jesus ourselves, we have tried to make others around us like ourselves, to believe and think and have the same opinions that we have. See, maybe we lack unity because we're trying so hard to make everyone like Chris. I just want you to believe like this, think like this, act like this. Be like Chris. No, no. It's about Jesus, following Jesus. See, we don't make people into our image. We, we point them to the image of Christ. So therefore, we don't always have to be right. We don't always have to have the last word. We don't always have to be on the top of the power structure, whatever that means in your life. Because maybe when we thought about unity or disunity, we thought about it around us instead of within us. I think this is why Paul wrote in verse three again, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others in your relationships with one another's, with one another have the mind, same mindset as Christ Jesus. Disunity occurs when I'm at the center instead of Jesus. See, maybe we need to confess something that the world does not revolve around me. Maybe you need to say that out loud. The world does not revolve around me. The world does not revolve around me. Not many people are saying that. The world does not revolve around me and it doesn't revolve around you. As a follower of Jesus, the world needs to revolve around Jesus. We need to respond to Jesus. We need to look to others and seek their well-being. Maybe it's asking one of these two questions. Maybe this is something you can do today. You can ask one of these two questions. First question, how can I serve you? Or the second question, what do you need? How can I serve you? What do you need? Maybe if your marriage is struggling, if you ask one of those questions on a daily basis, maybe things will change. If you have a conflict at work with someone or in the church here, you're sitting across the yard from that person. What if you ask one of those two questions of that person? How can I serve you? Or what do you need? Kids, ask your parents. Parents, ask your kids. Because it's what Jesus did. He knew our needs. And this is where Philippians 2 continues on. It says, who being in the very nature of God, 
Jesus, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father, to the glory of God, the father. It's all about Jesus. How can I serve you? What do you need? See our natural self Like we like to divide and compartmentalize and push people away. And there's a place for boundaries, healthy boundaries. There's there's a place where we come to where where we as believers, if if Jesus is not Lord, there's there's this point of like, okay, that's just not healthy there. We, We need Jesus as Lord in our relationships. But so often what we do is we, again, we look to these secondary issues. This week I came across a a story shared by a comedian and you may have heard this at some point. He was telling this story about what we're talking about today about division and how easy it is to do this. He said this, he said, I was walking across a bridge one day and I saw a man standing on the edge about to jump off. So I ran over and I said, stop, don't do it. There's so much to live for. He said, like what? I said, well, are you religious or atheist? And he said, religious. And I said, me too. Are you Christian or Buddhist? He said, Christian. And I said, me too. I said, are you Catholic or Protestant? He said, Protestant. I said, me too. Are you Episcopalian or Baptist? He said, Baptist. I said, wow, me too. Are you Baptist Church of God or Baptist Church of the Lord? He said, Baptist Church of God. I said, me too. He said, are you original Baptist Church of God or reformed Baptist Church of God? And he said, reformed Baptist Church of God. I said, me too. Are you reformed Baptist Church of God, a reformation of 1879 or reformation Baptist Church of God, reformation 1915? He said, reformation Baptist Church of God, or excuse me, reformed Baptist Church of God, reformation of 1915. I said, die heretic scum and pushed him off. Do you see how ridiculous we can be, Right? We look for that thing instead of starting with Jesus. We allow that thing to trump relationship instead of Jesus. Paul said, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love and make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace, which is Jesus. So when we look at other believers here, Or elsewhere, these other believers, we have this bond of peace because of Jesus. And this is important because Jesus said, this is how the world will know that God sent Jesus and that God loves the world. This is a salvation issue for the world. Psalmist said this. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. For there the Lord bestows his blessing. 
even life forevermore. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we long, I long, and I know there's others that long for unity in Jesus and togetherness. And Lord, we want your blessing in life forevermore. And we're thankful that we know that it comes from Jesus. And Father, I, I confess personally areas that I've allowed to divide or, or demonize or whatever other people that you died for, people that know you as Lord. And God, we as a church, as the church, have done the same for so long. But Lord, Jesus, on your mind before you died was unity because you knew salvation and eternity hinged on it for so many people. So Father, I pray that we as your followers would never stand in the way of people knowing Jesus. Lord, that you would just highlight and identify areas in our life and places that we are dividing out and not pointing to Jesus, not acting like Jesus, not living out and being the answer to the prayer that Jesus prayed. So Lord, help us here at FBC, Lord, to walk in unity and togetherness, Lord, to be a family that loves one another, that walks with each other, Lord, that works through challenges together, but Lord, always points to you and returns to you. So Jesus, we love you. God, we're so thankful that we meet because of you and we move because of you. Lord, we live because of you. We pray this all in Jesus' strong and powerful name. Amen.